When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop with you. Can't wait for the World Cup semifinals. Tomorrow, 6 o'clock, 6 a.m. It is Argentina v Croatia. And then the following morning, the surprise packets of the tournament, Morocco, take on the defending champions, France. Uh, doing a great job on SBS is Richard Bayless. Uh, not an easy job to do when you've got Mark Bosnich next to you at times. Uh, he is the host of their coverage and he joins us this morning. G'day, Rich. <laughs> G'day, Jill. Summed it up well. But, uh, yeah, it's been a good tournament. Good to work with Bozza. But, yep, echo those sentiments, mate. Just on Lionel Messi, Rich, I guess the casual football fan, or all football fans, but sometimes the casual football fans watch, they're mesmerised by the talent he possesses. How good has he been in this World Cup, though? Yeah, well, I think, you know, at the age of 35, I think the difference between him and Ronaldo, you know, it's easy to make the comparison in terms of what they do at their best. And I think the argument, who's the goat, who's the greatest of all out of those, is a little bit tiresome. But I think when you look at the way that Messi has been able to, you know, really take advantage of his skill set at this stage of his career is the big difference. Because whereas Ronaldo, you know, is all about speed, explosiveness, and he's lost that and his impact on the team has diminished, I think Messi's kind of the opposite in that, you know, he has never really been about out-and-out speed. He's more about guile and smarts and more about creating for others rather than, you know, being the ultimate goal scorer, even though he can do that as well, obviously. So I think the way that the team has been built around him is a lot smarter than what it used to be. I think it used to be about, you know, it's it's all about Messi, whereas now I think they go, it is all about Messi, but we need to be a unit on and off the pitch as well. So what he's done really well this tournament is pop up with key moments. I don't think he's played a 90 minutes yet where you would say he's been phenomenal start to finish, but second half against Australia, great example. When he needed to be, he popped up in key moments and the same against Mexico and Poland. So I think being able to, I guess, conserve his energy and pop up when it matters most is what's really set him apart. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a relatively quietly in a messy I don't know, 75% of the time in the semi-final tomorrow against Croatia, yet he pops up and scores the winner and everybody talks about him. I think that's the, that's the genius of man. Could you say that about Argentina as well, Rich? Obviously one of the pre-tournament favourites. They've got through to the semi-final, so they're, they're still there in the business end. But would you say they've been a little bit off their best in this tournament? I would, actually, which is remarkable to say. I think that you know they've lost one game in 41, which mm. is outrageous any form for any team in any competition. So, you know, the results are there for everyone to see. But I think even before this tournament, they weren't doing it in a way that was all about style and flair and they weren't putting teams away with ease. They won the Copper America last year in a very similar way. Defensively, they were they were resolute, they were compact, but then they had the ability with Messi and Di Maria and others to create havoc in key moments. And I think it's been a continuation of that. But what that looks like is a team on the edge. Uh, Similar to France, you know, you never really watch them at the moment and think, oh, wow, they're a mind-blowing team, yet they find a way to get the result and really grind it out. And actually, that last game against the Dutch, as soon as it turned into a scrap and it got really ugly, you know, off the ball and, you know, there were words being said and heated exchanges, from that point, Argentina don't lose because once it develops into a scrap, that's kind of what they want. So, you know, they're on the edge. 
Um, they're an edgy team by nature, but that's probably when they get their best results. Speaking of Richard Bayless, host of SBS World Cup coverage, semi-final tomorrow, 6 a.m. Argentina versus Croatia. Rich, I think even if you're not a football fan, you know who Lionel Messi is and you've probably seen him play a little bit, but maybe some haven't seen much of or any of Luka Modric over the journey. He is the the heartbeat of this Croatian team. Just give us a snapshot of, of what makes him such a good player. So he, I mean, you know, we talk about ageing players, Messi, Ronaldo, the oldest of the three is Luka Modric. And I guess playing in those midfield positions, he's less about explosiveness, but he is all about control. You know, four years ago, he was the best player at the World Cup in Russia. And everybody thought, okay, well, that's probably the last we see of Modric at this level. Four years later, he's arguably better. And he does this for Real Madrid week in, week out. So playing in that central midfield position in a midfield three, which is probably the best at the tournament, I would think, you know, even when every team was still in it. Brozovic, Kovacic and Modric in that midfield Croatia. It's just all about control, finding the pockets of space, getting the ball away quickly. You know, they don't attack at a million miles an hour, but what they do is they control the game in the midfield. And the majority of teams that can do that will win football matches. They don't have amazing players in terms of pedigree Croatia up top or even at the back, really. But what they have is a mind-blowing midfield led by this guy. And I think, you know, if they're to win it, it'll be pretty much, you know, on his back once again. He's a phenomenal player. So they've won one game, two draws, and then two in penalty shootouts. I think I wouldn't be wrong in saying not many thought Croatia would make it at this stage, even though they were finalists four years ago. What is making them such a tough team to beat, even though they're not winning many games themselves, if you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, they did the same thing four years ago. They got through a couple of penalty shootouts. You know, it took them to extra time, you know, against England in the semi-final. And everybody just thought, when are they going to fall over? You know, when are they going to drop? Because no team, every couple of days playing two hours of football, not to mention the mental stresses, no team can continue that for too long. Well, the reality is that they're still doing it four years later. And despite having plenty of older players, it's just amazing, you know, a resolute sort of approach to their football. I think they actually play for extra time and penalties. I think against Brazil, realistically, they did that. They had one shot on target in the entire match. Brazil dominated the game. The Croatia scored with that opportunity and then pushed it to penalties. And at that point, they just know, look, we, we've been here before. We're confident. Seven of their last eight knockout matches in major competitions have gone beyond 90 minutes. So they're so accustomed to that long, drawn-out scrap. But I think it's just in their DNA, you know, that they'll get through that. So that's why, you know, regardless of who they're playing tomorrow, they just don't fear anybody. Yet, you know, despite that four-year success, like you say, I don't think many people tip them to do it again because how, how is that a strategy? I think a lot of people wonder. But clearly it's one that works. So who are you tipping? Who do you like here? Obviously, Argentina are the favourites, but uh, as you say, Croatia just keep finding a way. Who, who do you think gets the points here? Well, I think there's one goal in it. <laughs> That's <not> the most <laughs> exciting prediction. I think uh, I think it'll just be a scrap. Like, you know, I think it'll be all about that midfield. It'll be really compact in the way that the team set up. I don't see it as high scoring. I see it as a bit of a grind. But that's you know exciting in itself. I think the Dutch Argentina game was that too. In that you know two teams just desperately trying to to gain control. Both of them are you know relatively happy if the opposition has the ball. Um, so I think. It'll be tight. I think Argentina will find a way because I think the Messi story and, like I say, that sort of aggro that came through the quarterfinal against the Dutch has just given them a little bit of extra edge and spark. So I think Argentina somehow. Benson, I'm not sure who the referee is for this game, but uh, there was a lot of talk about the refereeing in the in the France-England game. Certainly a lot of the English pundits weren't overly pleased with the, 
the rub of the green, I guess, they got from the referee. It was interesting refereeing as well in a really spiteful game between Argentina and the Dutch, as you just mentioned that game before. What, what have you made of the refereeing in those two games in particular? Well, it's really interesting, actually, because, you know, off air at SBS, we were talking in the early stage of the tournament about how referees were letting things go. And it was actually great because it was creating more open games. And, you know, we weren't getting into this kind of stop-start nature of games, which is, you know, I think tedious for everybody to watch. But what what's happened as a result, I think, is that a couple of referees have had very average performances where they've struggled to gain control of matches where teams are just so incredibly desperate. And I think the stakes in that quarterfinal, the Dutch and Argentina in particular, were so high. The France and England game as well. I mean, when two teams are so desperate and uh, trying to find every little advantage they can, it's really important that a referee can actually control the game. And as soon as you lose control, I think it just snowballs from there. So those two games in particular. The interesting thing is, though, you saw England and France. The England players didn't handle it very well. I mean, admittedly, some of the decisions were questionable against them. But whereas their players were sort of up in the referee's face and they were getting emotional about it, I think the French just dealt with it better. They just moved on. And while they weren't happy with certain calls, they just got on with it. And I think ultimately that was part of the difference between the two teams. So, again, it's about keeping your head. And I think whoever does out of the final four will just give themselves a slight advantage. Is there much fallout for England off the back of that result? I mean, there's, there's still critics of Gareth Southgate in England. There have been criticism about he didn't bring his subs on quick enough, even though sort of watching the game, you felt... England were the most likely to score next before Giroud bobbed up with that header. And if you look at their their team, they've still got some young players that will certainly be around and influential at the next World Cup. So what sort of reaction should there be to this English result? I mean, sometimes it's huge fallout over there, but is it a little bit more tempered this time? I think it is actually because the expectations normally going into a big tournament are massive in England. They think they're going to win it. But this time, despite the strength of the last few tournaments, they're actually quite measured going into it. The form was pretty poor. So they went in with a bit more of an even mind or an even keel, I should say, in terms of expectation. But I think it's a combination post this game of a pride because, like you say, they were very good against France. They dominated periods of the game. Um, and B, it's probably just a missed opportunity. You know, I think everybody looked at a Morocco semi-final, probably wrongly, by the way, but looking at that as a, an easy win or a, a sort of passage through to the to the final, and maybe they won't get a better opportunity than this with certain teams underperforming. I mean, you look at Spain and Germany not in the final stages. Brazil got knocked out. Um, other sides like Italy and Belgium not really, not really being part of the conversation. So for England, they might not get a better opportunity that said, and as you hinted at, Jules, I think the players they've got, apart from maybe a couple, maybe Walker Henderson and potentially Harry Kane, they'll all be there in four years. And actually, when you look across the entire global world football kind of spectrum, you see that England have got arguably the best young crop coming through. So if they can harness what they've done, see no reason why in four years they're not serious contenders. So France-Morocco, the second semi-final. Have they got much left to give the Moroccans? I mean, when you make a run like this, there's so much emotion and so much energy expended. Have they, have they got enough to, to, to perform again and, and cause what would be a, a pretty major shock if they knocked off the French? Oh, it, it would be massive. And I think, you know, from a neutral perspective, if you're looking at, let's call it the best possible outcome for that final, it's probably an Argentina-Morocco final because, you know, the Moroccan fans, along with the Argentines in the stands, have been phenomenal. You know, that such great support, such passionate support, and riding the crest of the wave that is the Moroccan story has been unbelievable. So, you know, I think they can sort of harness that a little bit. In terms of if they've got the energy on the pitch, it's a big question because three of their starting four defensive players 
you know, either didn't play or didn't finish uh, that quarterfinal. You know, one of them got stretched off. Two of the others weren't fit enough to play, which says a lot about their achievement without those guys. But it also raises the question, how long can they keep doing that for? You know, the, the amazing thing about this team is they're super defensive. And you can think back to Greece winning the 2004 mm. Euros. Everybody's saying, well, it's a huge underdog story. Where did it come from? They were so defensive. And, in, in, you know, it was to the point where they were just grinding out results. Morocco are also super defensive, but they're so good to watch because they've got amazing players who can hurt other teams on the on the counter attack. Buffal and Ziyech on the on the flanks are unreal, really skillful, technical, and you've got these guys that are just super confident in what the manager's doing. This manager's been in charge for eight games; they've conceded once, and it was an own goal. So, you know, I think for a Moroccan-born manager to be leading them to this stage, the first not only African nation in the final four, but the first from the Arab world as well, the symbolism of them getting through to a final and dare I say winning this World Cup, mm. I think. Of all the negativity and question marks to come out of this World Cup in Qatar, I think the positivity of a Morocco potentially winning it would would be phenomenal and such a great story to come out of it. Just while I was going to ask you about that, taking all the controversy aside, and and we've, we've talked about that a lot, from a purely footballing point of view, where would you rate this World Cup? It's hard, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, I know a lot of people watching it will try to separate the football from, you know, the broader realities and, and maybe that's the way we need to look at it. But I think it's hard to do that. I think, um, you know, if you look at it and say, what's the best World Cup ever purely in terms of football, I just wonder whether we can actually say that mm. given, you know, the 12-year build-up to it, you know, the amount of lives lost uh, in building the stadiums and the other controversies we've seen during the past four or five weeks. So yeah, I think trying to separate it, I think it's been a really well, good World Cup football-wise. I think the group stage was really open. We saw a lot of shocks. You know, we've seen some of the big teams stumble and give opportunities to other sides like Morocco, which is always great. The Aussies doing well clearly, you know, (laughs) makes us look at it from a different perspective as well. Um, You know, during those amazing games against Argentina and Denmark and Tunisia, you know, we're not not thinking about the human rights issues uh, of Qatar. But I think once once the dust settles and you look back on it, we'll say that it was one of the best we've seen football-wise and in terms of results but it came with this additional baggage as well. Yeah, well said. I reckon that's really well said, Rich. Uh, well done with everything you've done on SBS so far. Uh, three massive games to go, a couple of semis, uh, and then the final. Thanks so much for your time today, Rich. Good on you, Jules. All the best, mate.